Back to the Future, we continue the sermon series. We started off a couple of weeks ago. You can turn your Bibles or your uh, smartphones, iPads, whatever device you may have, and turn to James chapter 1. We'll be going to begin there shortly. But as we continue in this service, um, Back to the Future movie. Marty McFly, played by, played by Michael J. Fox, um, he is set in a time frame a few decades ago, but he goes back in time to the 1950s. What a cool time. Um, don't know if you remember too much about the 50s for some of you that may have lived through them or did some history lessons through them. Uh, but, the, but the 50s were known for the golden age of capitalism. World War II had just ended in the 40s, and people were returning back to work, getting situated. And not only back to work, but they're actually getting situated in the church. They're getting out of the battlefield and getting into the spiritual battlefield of the church. And also things, some things that took place in the 50s. The first business computer became available, which set off a, a number of different things and businesses and down each different paths, including the opportunity for many homes to have televisions, which then prompted a whole new lifestyle, right? And uh, you had game shows, you had um, pop quizzes, you had a bunch of things filling up your TV shows. And uh, not only that, then they started to figure out that we can do some socially influencing through the TV. So a number of things started to take place, full-time employment, a standard of living, even the suburbs from around cities started to really become developed. Just a great economic boom, which led to a lot of people investing and which led to a lot of the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, started to make a bunch of different laws and stuff for investing purposes. And then we get to the 60s. And the 60s, do you know what the 60s are known for? Or what the term for the 60s was? Just the 60s. <laughs> just the 60s. So 50s golden age of, of golden age of capitalism, 60s are just the 60s. Because if you just say the term, hey, man, I grew up in the 60s, you're like, ah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I got that. The 60s were known just as that, just the 60s. And it became known as the baby boomer, boomers generation. And what's called is the generation gap. What is the generation gap? The generation gap is this. Those people that were um, coming up before them, they knew the value of things. There was a morality of things. And there was a, there was a, a belief. Um, you, had, you had different sets of things that people believed in. The, that generation gap really proved out to be that people were becoming more and more about themselves and seemed to go against anything that the older generation said. And it, whether it was politics whether it was finances or whether it was values or whether it was religion, they're just known as a generation gap. They were known for self, they were known for uh, more of a self-gratification, whereas those, that age of capitalism, that younger or the older generation was known for self-denial. We need to get back to that self-denial. That younger generation was about the self-gratification of what served me. So as we transition into the thought for today, that has started a gradual windfall where we are today. Over the last number of generations, we've seen spikes in, in spiritual growth, but for the most part, since the 60s and 70s, we've seen a decline in the importance of church in the home, in the community. And it's really led to 
what is going on today, what really is promoted, what, is, what do I believe, what, what helps me in my beliefs, what helps me in my thoughts or my convictions or my love, what determines my love, what helps me feel like I want to feel, my hobbies, what self-promotes me and my business, my ventures, my desires. It's why Pastor Jeff and I wholeheartedly believe in what this series and this year theme is about. And what we're asking of you guys this year, to raise, I'm sorry, to reach, to raise and release. To really reach in, to reach people here, to reach people out there in a greater way so that we can all be raised in a deeper, rooted fashion for God's glory so we can then be sent out to be released, to be used for his purpose, the way that you were created to be. Because ultimately, we can't change people without first changing their hearts. And we can't attempt to change people's hearts without first having our hearts aligned with the Father's heart. So it again goes back to the roots of our faith, the Bible reading, the prayer, and our faith walk. So we need to be rooted. In the last couple of weeks, we kicked off our sermon series, Back to the Future, um, with the spiritual mindset. And then last week, Pastor Jeff talked about the spiritual disciplines. And we're going to go a little bit further today as we talk about today's sermon title, Being Be the Future. We are to be the future. And we're going to look at that in today in, in James chapter 1. We're going to look at basically one verse in James chapter 1. Then we're going to skip ahead to James chapter 2 for just a few verses as well. So in James chapter 1, you can turn and you can look at verse 22, and we're going to begin there. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And then jump to James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one, says, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac a son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his, with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Now jump down to verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This train of thought that James is exacting here in this moment, in this, in this passage of Scripture, is really completely about obedience. You see, in the Scripture it says, Jesus says, if you love, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to be a doer. And as James was writing to this church or to the church, he knew exactly what obedience looked like. He knew exactly because why? He had seen it firsthand. Hand, James was the half-brother of Jesus. So he knew exactly where to be coming from and what obedience looked like. And he's compelling them to be a doer of the word. Don't just sit and listen and be a hearer only. This uh, picture you're going to see here in just a moment. It's about an RC dog. Um, David Jeremiah shared this 
not too long ago. He's, David Jeremiah is a pastor out in California. And listen to what he said about this dog. Um, During the mid-20th century, one of the most recognizable brand icons of that day was this picture in America. It was this dog sitting in front of an old gramophone with his head cocked, listening to the sound. That iconic image, it's owned by RCA Victor Record Company. The dog was sitting in front of a Victor gramophone. And the picture was originally painted, this, this picture was originally painted by an English artist named Francis Broad. This dog was named Nipper, and he had been owned by the painter's brother, who had recorded his voice on some early phonograph records. And after the brother died, Barad, the painter, inherited Nipper and the gramophone and the records that came with it. And whenever the records were played, with Nipper's uh, master's voice being played, the dog would sit in front of the gramophone, listening to his master's voice. And that's a beautiful image, spiritually, in our relationship to Jesus Christ. As he has gone to be in heaven and he's no longer here on this earth, we can no longer hear his physical voice, but be assured, we can sit in front of his word. And we can kneel before him in prayer. And we can hear him speak to our hearts. Have you heard your master's voice this morning? Have you heard it in the last couple of days? Have you listened intently to what he's telling you? What he speaks to your heart? See, as believers, we should hear. As believers, we should be able to hear our master's voice. As James points out in this book, we're not only to be hearers, though. We are to be doers. We need to be putting in practice the doing in our life. So today there's going to be four points that I'm going to touch on. The first one is this. As we see in James chapter 1, verse 22, don't be delusional. Don't be delusional. This word delude in verse 22, it means this. It, it connotates this, to be deceived and to miscalculate. And see, when we're, and what deluded kind of goes into a path of is, is that when we can be deceived, miscalculated, it connotates this word of being delusional. James is saying that when we hear but we don't live out what God's commands are, we are deceiving, we're deluding ourselves into our, in our lives and how we're living. So let's break this down just a little bit. How are we deceiving ourselves when we aren't doing but we're only hearing? So these next two verses in James chapter 23 and verse 20, or 1, verse 23 and 24 tells us. It says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what of a person, what kind of person he is. So you're looking in the mirror. Here, I'm going to ask you a question. How many here looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church? Half of you. Oh, my goodness. The other half of you, man, you need some work to be done. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Come on. I know you don't want to admit it. I know you're, you're the people that didn't raise their hand. And you don't want to admit it. You're the ones that stand in front of me for 15 or 20 minutes. Because <laughs> here, here, I'll give you a quick story. So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a friend in college, and uh, he was a roommate of mine. And uh, I used to call him GQ. GQ. And I'm like, GQ, man, you take up too much time in this mirror. 
GQ would stand, and the reason he was called GQ, his name started with a Q, I just added a G. And uh, so GQ would stand in front of the mirror, and he's always checking himself out. And he would spend 15 to 20 minutes looking at the mirror to himself, looking himself over. And I'm going to tell you, if I did not get my butt out of bed early enough to get in front of the mirror, I was like really mess. I had no much, not much time to even check over myself before he we went. And I'm like, GQ, listen, man, you're over there. You look spiffy. He would look at himself, make sure his collars are good. Everything was prim and fine. He'd actually look at his eyebrows, make sure that they're all his hairline and his beard was perfect. Everything was going, and I said, listen, I got to a point, I'm like, look, man, if you don't want people thinking you have an ugly roommate, I need time in that mirror. <laughs> but but, it's, but it's, the truth is this, is you see this word of God. This is our mirror. This is what the word of God does. It shows us who we are and tells us where we're at in our life. And maybe there's some people here that don't want to get into God's word because you're afraid of what it's going to tell you. You're afraid of what it's going to reveal. You're afraid that it might convict your life into doing something where God's commanding you and how to live, and you don't want to live that way. Listen, if we're saying one thing and doing another, and not being the doer, we're deceiving ourselves, it's a, ourselves, it's a lie. The worst part of the lie is you're claiming to, to be people who are of Christian faith but not living out Christ's commands. And what is this lost and dying world supposed to do with that? What are they saying and what we're, how we're living? It's like, are you matching up to what you're saying and what you say about your own self? Don't be delusional. Here's the second thing. Don't be dead. James 2.26 itself tells us this. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We just read that a few minutes ago. You know, my kids like to play video games. I used to play video games. Hey, look, I couldn't get in front of the mirror, so I might as well play video games in college. So I had to spend my time getting ready. Maybe I can get the glare off the TV. I don't know. But, you know, you get the controllers for the TV. My kids would play, you know, some video games, and they have their controller. And what happens is, is this, is sometimes when the, when the batteries go dead inside the controller, the controller is useless. A person saved should always have some sort of good works that follows in their life. Some may take longer, some it may be slower, fast moving, I don't know. The fact is the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, is living inside of you, compelling you to move and do something. Just as the verse says, verse says this, faith that is not producing fruit, not doing the works of the Father, it is like a body that has no spirit. It is lifeless. It is dead, of no use. This is a very convicting and very reflective passage of Scripture. It makes us really look and check ourselves in the mirror. Not the physical one, the spiritual one. Because the spiritual leads to the physical. What are we doing in life? What are we producing fruit? Are we doing works for the Father? Are we doing the words and the commands that Jesus tells that we ought to be um, doing and living and being, praying? If not, the question is, is it, are you saved? It's not this. It's, I, I came and I shared this in, um, with others before. About a year ago, I was leading a men's group. And um, I had one gentleman who was a little bit older than I was, or I am. And uh, he came up to me and goes, man, I'm just Pastor Brian. I'm really frustrated. Things are going on in my life. And I said, okay. And this, and this gentleman had been in church for decades. And um, I said, well, when's the last time you got in into your word, into the word. When's the last time you talked to the Father? And he's like, 
I don't know. I haven't, I haven't opened my Bible since I got saved. I thought, what? And I said, well, how long do you think you've been saved? He goes, about 25, 30 years. And I'm thinking to myself, if someone has been saved that long and never feels compelled to open up to God's word, never feels compelled to really get engaged, never feels compelled, it's like, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? And I'm not saying you have to be Billy Graham. I'm not saying that you have to. It's just this, is that God is the Holy Spirit. And when you are a believer, you are filled with the Spirit, and it should compel you to some steps forward at some points in your life. Our goal is to see a Christ movement take place, and it takes a living Christ body that does His work. Is Christ living in you? Is He compelling you to move in your faith? Let's not be dead. Let's be alive in Christ. So here's, an, we talked about a couple of things about don't be. Don't be a delusional. Don't be dead. Here's a couple of B's. To be something. Here it is. Be a doer. Be a doer. We want to be the future? Then we got to be a doer. The future of, our, of your home, our communities, our church, our world, it really lies within us. It relies within our children. It relies within our sphere of influence. It relies here. As Pastor Jeff and I have laid out in the vision plan, for the future, or the last couple of weeks. And if you haven't, uh, if you aren't here, maybe you missed it, you can go to our website, and on the resources tab, there's a sermons archive that you can go to. In the last couple of weeks, at the very beginning, um, we have laid open some, a synopsis of the vision plan, not the entirety. I would encourage you to go check those out. And even in, the few, in any of the past sermons, you can check those out as well. For our vision plan to take hold, though, we have to do, right now, we can't wait for the future to come to us. We have great plans, you know, to do things. We want to see people saved. We just don't sit and pray, Lord, send somebody. What if he wants to send you? We can't pray for just a movement to take place, for people to come in or buildings to be added or whatever it may be. we got to prepare now. The doing starts now. A.W. Tozer said this, um, quote, a number of years ago, a long time ago. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did was stop and everybody would know the difference. The thing is, is sometimes we get so caught up in the daily routine of just doing life that we're not doing ministry as we should, I'm not saying it'd be 95%, but a large portion of just doing, just doing. But are we doing Jesus to people? Are we doing Jesus with one another? Are you being, are you listening to God's word infiltrate your heart and transforming you? It's not just about coming in and showing up and going home and praying that the Lord does. He wants to use his people. He wants to see doers, not just hearers. God desires to work in us and through us. Are you ready to be used? Are you ready to go to work? Here's what James is saying. Your life, your works will prove out your faith. Plain and simple. Your life. It's going to prove out your faith. If someone says that they are fans of the Browns, we have some fans of the Browns in here. Ooh. Oh, my word. They're in the second round of the playoffs in how many years? And that was the best we can get. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness there's no fans in the stadium today based on that. Holy cow. But if, if, if we're saying that we're Browns fans and we show up and we're wearing Chiefs gear today or we're wearing the Ravens gear, God forbid, then 
what kind of fans are we? Are we really fans of that team? If our lives, if we're claiming to be Christians, but we look like culture or the world, who are we really resembling? What's really inside of us? If our works that we're doing in our life do not resemble Christ, but they resemble culture, who's residing in us? You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us this, that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace, by grace of God through faith, not of your works, not of my works. I can't be saved. But, let me, but we often sometimes miss the very next portions of that, that we are his workmanship. We are a new creature in Christ, and which means, he goes on to say, we were created to do good works. What does that mean? If you are a saved believer, you have this new creature in Christ, and God has preordained works specifically for you and I to walk and do them. Every person that is a believer, new creature in Christ, has God-specific works for you to do. If you're a believer, are you prepared to specific work for you? Are you preparing? Listen to what 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says. For the body is not one member but many. Paul goes on to speak to that point later in chapter 12. and talks about the body as a whole. That we're all members of this one body of Christ. And it takes the body to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Not just pastors, not just leaders, not just missionaries, not just certain types of people. It's everyone. You have been given a gift and a skill and ability to do something in this world for Jesus Christ. And it's not like, not everybody gets to be the head. Not everybody gets to be the feet or the hands. Maybe you're the back or the neck. I don't know. But guess what? When, when, certain, when we've um, declined to use our skills and ability, we, like, we see parts of the body moving. God has created all of us to work together to serve him in a great capacity. James chapter um, uh, 4 verse 4 says this, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Go look it up and read it. And say, well, what does that mean? It means this. It doesn't mean that I don't mess up. Look, my family's over there. Pastor Jeff's here. He's seen me for the last number of months. Some of you have interacted with me. I fail. <laughs> I, I'm going to mess up. Even though I'm a pastor, I'm going to sin. Not purposefully, but I'm going to fail. What it's saying is this. Am I living a life of sin, purposeful sin, and living a life that's inconsistent on a consistent basis. Does that make sense? Who am I representing? It's because James is saying, if, if, we're, if, if we're living this life that's just consistent with sin, God's not pleased with that. What does that mean, friend of the world? What's your life like? Does your life identifiable with culture or Christ? You see, it's about a mindset. It's about your works. It's about how you think. I mean, and I'm, I know these are some hot topic items, but I'm just going to be very upfront with you. Because what you do in this life matters. How you think matters. You are influencing people and you don't even know it. How you view the hot topics of abortion how you view, how to being drunk or going and being drunk, or how you feel about, um, you know, being gay or being lesbian or stealing, or, or it may be just 
committing adultery. I don't know that what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. And when, when the Lord says that we ought to live a certain wife, life, then we ought to live a certain life. He's telling us that we need to be doers of his word, not just hearers. It's great we come in and we get to hear God's word. We need to go out and live it and do it and believe it. It should start to transform your mind. should start to transform the way that you live, the way that you look, and the way, or, uh, way that you look at everything, and the way that you view life. It should. If you are saved, you are not your own. Look at verse 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us. Flee immorality. Do, not know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your God in your body. I want you to understand something. Salvation is a free gift from God, but let me tell you, it came with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ. And so he bought you with his own life. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We are to be, we are not ours, we are his. So you say, wait, wait a minute. This is my life. I'm going to live it how I want to live it. Okay, cool. So what was that conversation like when you got saved? Was it like, hey, Lord, I want to be forgiven, but I want to live how I want to live? Is it just like, I want to do this, but I want that, but I want this as well, I want heaven as well? Eh, this is not the way that salvation works. Let me tell you what salvation is. Salvation is not transactional, it's transformational. Salvation is not transactional, it's transformational. And I'll kind of go over what trans transactional and transformational means. Transactional means, transactional faith says this. It says, I need this fix to do my life. It's like, I'm going to do this transaction, and I'm going to get something is paid for something, a predetermined benefit or service or an item. Like, I pay this cost, so I get these groceries. Or I get this ticket to go to this concert. And from a Christian's perspective, let's roll it out this way. I pray this prayer a certain way with certain words, so I'm, this should take place. If I pay this tithe and this offering, I should be healthy, I should be wealthy, I should have this. Or if I attend church, well, guess what? Just because I attend church, I'm a healthy, growing Christian. Or if I do A, then God will, will do B. And that is not Christianity. That's not. I'm not saying that God is not going to bless your life because he will, because he is faithful. But it's not a transactional faith. It's a transformational faith. Transformational faith says this, I need to change so I can be Christ-like. Transformation is the Holy Spirit working in your life to change you because it changes your behaviors. I don't buy something to be something. I, I receive Jesus to be like him. It changes my thought process, my lifestyle. It changes me so I resemble him. Why is transformational faith so important? Why is that important? Thank you for asking. Thank you. There are many translations in the Bible. Today, I, I have the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. I believe Pastor Jeff has the NIV, which is New International Version. There's also the King James Version that many of you may be aware of, the um, KJV. There's a New King James Version. There's also the ESV, the e um, English Standard Version, and there's a number of others as well. But I'm going to read you a quote from um, J. Vernon McGee. 
Well, before I do, I want to say this. Um, translation, we talk about translation. Translation, um, you know what that means? It doesn't mean that is we're replacing Scripture with a new version of commandments. Translation means it's the process of translating words or texts from one language to another so that people can understand it. J. Verding McGee says this about uh, Bible translation. Any Christian can make a new Bible translation. You may say, I'm not capable. I'm not familiar with the original languages in the Hebrew and Greek. I know nothing about manuscripts. He says, my friend, in spite of your limitations, it is possible for you to make the best translation of Scripture that's ever been made. Do you know what the name of the translation is? It is called the doer's translation. To be a doer of the word. Be a replication of Jesus Christ. Be the living, breathing person where God has transformed your life, where people see it on an everyday basis. That's the best version of the Bible. People see it in action. They see you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You see, today, today, in each and every day, you and I are being read by the world every day. Each day, you are writing a sentence. You're writing a paragraph. You're writing your book for everyone to read. That statement by J. Vernon McGee is so true. The best translation is the Bible being lived out by the followers, being the doers. Not just a hearer, but a doer. Here's the last point, and we're closing. And this will be quick. Be a receiver. Be a receiver. I'm not talking about the Browns receivers. <laughs> they have a few of those today. Although we could have used you maybe in the Jets game when they had nobody. Um, but, hey, be a receiver. There are many here that are hearing this message, whether it's online, Facebook Live, or today in person. And there are many around the world that are hearing the gospel message. Hearing. But as James chapter 121 states this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Before you can be a doer, you need to be a receiver. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you, compelling you? And maybe you do. Maybe you're not sure. You know what? We're going to take a moment here briefly, and you can make sure right now. To be a doer, some of these things can be very frustrating in here. But when you have the Holy Spirit compelling, compelling you and encouraging you, edifying you, it moves you. It helps you. Trying to do everything on your own just leads to frustration. The word receive means to accept, receive, take in. I remember growing up in Cleveland, near, out in, uh, in Cleveland and near Medina. I had a few friends that we would always play with. And there, sometimes I would see their friends, they'd have to go home and finish their chores. And I remember one instance for myself, I was out in the backyard playing. And one of my parents came out and was like, Brian, you need to quit what you're doing. Come in and finish your work. You see, it didn't matter in life what I was doing. 
My father had commands for me to do, and I needed to finish them. It wasn't for my friends. It was for me. Today, if you're a believer, listen to the master's voice. Hear him. He's calling your name. And if you are not saved, now is the time to be born again. Because you can't know to do unless you can hear. And you can't hear unless you receive. Be a doer. Be a hearer. Be a receiver. It takes a spiritual people to perform the works of the spiritual mission. The message is very clear. Their father is calling. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Do you know him? Here's a quick life lesson. Be the future. Perceive. That means to hear and practice. Let's, be, let's go out and perceive today. And let's go out and perform or practice to do. So with every head bowed and all of your eyes closed for just a moment, here's what I'm going to ask you. Do you know Jesus? I'm going to pray a prayer real quickly. And you can repeat this prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It's your heart and your belief, your faith that you're placing in God. But now you can repeat this prayer, whether it's online, whenever you watch this, or whether it's here in person. And then we're going to close in prayer. Or maybe you need to get right with the Lord in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe you just are rededicating your life. I don't know. But man, if there's ever a time the Lord needs you, he needs you now. He doesn't need your perfection. He supplies the perfection. Let's pray. If you want to be saved, then repeat this prayer after me. Father, I just thank you, Father, Lord, for salvation. Lord, as best I know how, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from within. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you're the Son of God and that you rose again. Lord, forgive me and help me to live for you, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. And as we get ready to close in prayer, Pastor Jeff asked you before, and I'm going to ask you again, maybe you just need to pray for just a moment. Let's take a moment. We're going to pray, we're going to close during this prayer as well. But I'm encouraging you to be a doer. I'm encouraging you to be a hearer, a receiver. Let's pray. Father, Lord, today, help us, Lord, to be perceiving of who you are. Let us listen to the Master's ear today, Lord. Lord, I know that the Browns game is going to take place. I know that there's other things on our list and our agendas. But, Father, we should be excited that we have God who loves us so much and gave a son for us. And he wants to work in our lives. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that we realize that. I pray, Lord, that we see what's in the balance of our lives today. God, convict our hearts and move us. Lord, let your word be filled in us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we not only perceive, but then we go out and practice what we know. We don't have to know everything, Lord. We just need to know you. So, Lord, move in our way, in our life in a mighty way. Let us get out of our seats and into the world, but let us go when we go into the world. Let's be doers of the word. Let us go with the great commission to the great communities. And let us be the church, Father, toward today. For those that are listening here, Lord, I pray that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a blessing with you guys today. Go Browns, but out of our seats and into the world. Love you, appreciate you all. Have a great afternoon.